0: South Asian Voices is a safer Asian Indian family wellness podcast to raise questions around patriarchy and to challenge the outdated gender norms that perpetuate domestic violence in our community. Through these podcasts, we bring to you individuals who are working hard to break the cycle of violence and to create a world where women would be considered equal. Today, we bring to you a very special woman who has use theater as a tool to target the misogynist psyche in our culture. That has been a barrier in women realizing their full potential. Please welcome Mahabanu Modi Kutwal. I'm
1: so happy to be here. Thank you.
0: Thank you Mahabanuji. And before we begin, I would like to share about Mahabanu and her work. Mahabhanu is, a, is trained as a microbiologist and geologist, but in her adult life, took up her first passion, performance. She's an actor, director, and producer in film, television, theater, and radio, with over 60 credits to her name in India and abroad. She's also a social justice advocate, working diligently in the arenas of women's empowerment and trying to end violence against women globally. In 2018, she received the inaugural HER, HER Award for her commitment to women's empowerment in the same year, she also was honored with the inaugural WOW Women of Wonder Award for exemplary women achievers in various fields. In 2011, she received the prestigious Karamveer Puraskar for her work towards social justice and ending violence for women and children. Mavano is also the co-founder of the Make a Difference Foundation, which raises funds and awareness to combat violence against women and children. Recently, she was selected for a prestigious summer directing course at Yale University in the U.S. She has worked with Indian and international luminaries as Amitabh Bachchan, Pranila Scales, Richard Johnson, Sanjay Leela Bhansali, Anupam Kher, Nasiruddin Shah, Parashlaw Rawal, Shabana Azmi, and the late Ompuri, amongst many others. Some of her best known films are Black, The Sixth Happiness, Buddha Margaya, Afterglow, Vintage Rossi. As the owner of Poor Passport*. Poor Box Productions, one of India's premier theater companies. Mahbano has produced, directed, and starred in some of India's most critically acclaimed works and longest running shows in English and Hindi, including Shirley Valentine, Art, Hole in the Head, and soon entering its 15th year in India, the very famous Vagina Monologues in Hindi and English. Mahbano was chosen by Femina magazine as one of the 50 most powerful women in India in 2007. Human rights activist and author Zabanu Gifford, in her book Secrets of the World's Inspirational Women, has featured Mahabanu as one of the 20, 200 most inspirational women from around the world. Uh, we are honored to have you here, Mahabanuji, and welcome to our podcast. So, I have a few questions that we would be talking about. Like you have been the pioneer in having the Vagina Monologue in India. Uh, And it's a very culturally conservative society for many people who still believe that the patriarchal values of keeping the woman under dominance uh, should go on. Can you please share about this play and your journey and what made you choose this play?
1: Uh, Well, the Vagina Monologues is a play that has really changed my life. And I think it has changed several lives uh, from the comments we get in our comment books, which we keep outside our performances. We've been performing for 18 years. Wow. And, yeah. And uh, unfortunately, because of the COVID, we've only had two performances this year. But we hope to continue as soon as the as things settle down. Uh, because the rights don't allow us to air this play on, uh, <clears throat> on any me- other media. We have to do it as a performance for live audiences. And that is at actually where the joy of the play comes out. <clears throat> Excuse me. So in 2000, uh, my son, who was teaching at Ohio State University, sent me the book of the play. I read it and he said, "You know mother, you should do this play in India." And I read it and I said, "Are you serious? I don't have a dead death fish, you know? Why would I produce something like this which will probably be shut down the minute it opens? So he didn't say anything, but that very year I went to America because my daughter lives in Atlanta and I saw the play there. And to sit, you know, with 1500 people screaming and shouting and laughing and crying at the same time, it just blew me away. And so I decided right there and then that this is a play, no matter what happens, I have to do in India. And so I applied for the rights. And Eve Ensler, who's the playwright, uh, she asked us to come to New York for a a meeting. So we went to New York specially to meet her and it was something marvellous. She is one of the most amazing women I've ever met. So she questioned us, you know, about what work we had done and we had done some very, very good work in theatre, even prior to the Vagina Monologues. And... uh, uh, Within about, it took us still, it took us about a year to get the rights. Once we got the rights, there my heart started beating faster. Because you see, in India, it is one of the few places where you need a census certificate. Well, you did at that time. I believe they've done away with it now for the play. Uh, For for theatre, you need a census certificate to pass the play. Even at that time, if I went out of Bombay and performed, I had to give the play, the script, to a policeman who would view it and then give me permission to perform it, say, in Chennai or wherever.
0: Wow, that's quite a lot of restrictions. It's
1: it's an unheard of thing, you know. Uh, Anyway, but I believe this play has been written by Eve with such purity of thought and with such purity of intent, somehow things just fell into place. You see, I got the play, and a few months after that, I was—I—I I wanted to submit it to the censor board, and I was do—I—I I also do stand-up comedy, so I was doing a stand-up comedy uh, comedy show for the BBC at the Taj Mahal Hotel in Bombay. They had brought a stand-up comic from. Uh, London and I was the Indian counterpart and so I met this wonderful girl I mean brilliantly attractive young girl and she asked me she said madam what is your next project so I laughed and I said well I don't know if my next project is ever going to work out she said why I said well it's a play called the vagina monologues and I have to submit it for a census certificate and I don't think I will get one. Because in the previous plays that I had done, when the word fuck came around, you know, they would put a cross and they would call me up. Actually, the censor, the gentleman who was handling the the administration, he would call me up and he would say, Yeah, fuck ball
0: of
1: funny. And I said, <clears throat> if they don't allow fuck, they're not gonna allow this.
0: Yeah.
1: Anyway, she looked at me and she said, Who told you that it won't be allowed? She said, I am a member of the censor board and I will give it because there are several members. And she said, you have to find the right members to read the play with that mindset. And she said, you give me the script and I gave it to her and I said, she will never get it. And, you know, within 15 days, I got the censor certificate without a single deletion. deletion. Though there is, you know, uh, actually, there's no vulgarity in the play. The word vagina is not a vulgar word, it's just a biological name of a part of the body of over half this world's population.
0: Yes, that's so, true.
1: Yeah, I got the uh, sense certificate, but that is when my problem started. I couldn't find anyone to act in it. You know, girls who are models and who wore skirts short enough to exhibit their vaginas refused to say the B word. Uh, so ultimately, my son met. Uh, Dolly Thakur, who I had known previously and who's been a major part in my career. You know, she's helped me and she's promoted me. Uh, So she said, what is your mother up to now? And he said, well, she wants to do the vagina monologues, but she can't find anybody to act in it. She said, who said? I'll come and act in it. So I said, hooray, now we've got one person. We actually needed maybe just one or two more because the play is actually written for three
0: people. Okay.
1: So... uh, we got Dolly, and then I remember this brilliant girl with whom I had acted in monologues again, separate monologues, directed by another director. And Jayati Bat, she was called, uh, she was, she is Jayati Bhatya. and she does a lot of television work. And I remember that she had done this brilliant, brilliant monologue about giving birth on stage.
0: Wow,
1: It was wonderful. I said maybe I should ask her because if she did that, she could surely do the vagina monologues. So I called her up. I said, you know, Jayati, you're very busy. I know that with television. But would you like to do this? She at once jumped into it. She said, yes, I'd love that. Then came in another girl called Avandika Kherkar. Uh, she lived in America because her father, mother is American and father is from India. And the family lives in India. She had just come from America to settle down in India. She came in. And so we were all set, you know, and rehearsals began. And then what happened was that the producer who had produced a few of my other plays uh, called me up three weeks before the show and said, I'm so sorry, but I have to opt out of producing your play. And I said, why? He said, well, you know, he's a very well-known person in Bombay society. So he said, well, you know, my name will be a sort of maligned in Bombay society. I said, but Bombay society is nothing but Bombay smugglerati why are you worried about your name with you know in front of the so anyway he walked out and I think it was the biggest favor he ever did me ever because everything was said then I put in my own money to produce it and so that's how it began
0: oh that's incredible story from getting the permission and finding people who would accept it and finding uh wonderful actors who would be a part of this whole Team that is taking it forward even now, so that's kind of like it seems like as if it was meant to be, and it is a very wonderful work. Like you said, Eve has written it with a lot of intent to reach out to the persons uh, that she has, and it's not just about, uh, and it's not vulgar like you mentioned. So it's kind of uh, work. I have a copy of it, and I also am going to read that. I still haven't got a chance, but. Uh, What I feel is like many a time because a woman's body has been uh, more seen as a commodity that can be utilized and can, that can be had. Uh, All the words related to it has become more problematic over the period of time. And we'll talk about that too. But thank you so much for sharing this uh, wonderful story of your journey. So what difficulties did you have during the initial days of presenting the play? And, have there been any changes in the acceptance of this play over the period of time? Have people become more accepting towards it or they still see it more like uh, as a play which is full of uh, the so-called cliche uh, term to use, vulgarity?
1: Uh, Actually, when presenting it to the audiences, from day one, we were absolutely on board. They were with us. There has been absolutely no problem, not from the government, not from people, We were told whilst, uh, uh, before the show was put, the first show was performed that you better get a lawyer ready. You better get a van full of policemen outside the theater, but nothing of that sort happened. It was just wonderful. And I must say one thing um, that when I got this cast to act with me, I've been, there have been many changes. Oh, Dolly and I are the only ones that have continued over the years. Uh, Because people move on, they get better jobs, The theatre is not a very paying uh, performance uh, art, performing art. And so I have been always blessed with getting the most phenomenal actors. Truly I have. You know people who came later like Swati, Das, Mona, Ambega, I mean Dilna, Zirani, they're fabulous. And of course we had the play later on translated into Hindi. But coming back to the performances, we've never had a problem at all. Except that uh, when we had Jane Fonda, Marissa Tomei and E. Ensler coming in 2004, they came down here, acted with us and helped me raise lakhs of rupees for shelters for battered and abused women. Something that we have continued to do till to date. So when they came down, we were to go and uh, perform for a shelter in Chennai, to raise money for a shelter in Chennai. And two hours before we were to board the plane, we were told that the then police commissioner of Chennai had banned our entry into the city, stating that we would be disturbing the law and order situation there. <laughs> How seven non-violent women propagating non-violence towards women were going to disturb the law and order situation in a city like Chennai. You should see the film promos of the South Indian films, you know. I mean, yeah. it was. I just couldn't believe it. Anyway, but nine years after that day, we did go to Chennai and we had the most fabulous performances there. After that, of course, we've been everywhere multiple times in Pune, Delhi, probably more than 20, 30 shows in each place. So wow. it's, been, it's been a great journey. It's been a great journey.
0: Yeah, it's, it's really powerful that how you fought that back and you didn't... Uh kind of give up and you persisted and then you went there after nine years. And I would say it was not the administration, it was again the patriarchal psyche because it's not the fear of creating violence. It's the fear of creating that sense of empowerment uh, in the women that might create that problem in the community that is still not uh, on the verge of um, or any point near to accepting women as equals. So I I really am, really thrilled to know about this. I'm really happy that this happened, and I'm glad that we're talking about it today in a happy mood, though at that time, it would have been a really tense situation because when you plan something and you want to do and go ahead with it, and such an important mission, it might have been a little problematic at that time. And thinking of that uh, kind of voyage that you took, despite that kind of uh, problems, uh, facing that kind of restrictions and barriers, you still continued. So...
1: But, uh, you know, that was the only one time that we were frustrated because we had planned everything. The stars had come from America, Jane Fonda, and these are big stars, you know, and they are not easy to get. And they came because of E. Wensler. And they came and I had... I mean, there was no payment given to them or anything. And they came and gave... In fact... Uh, I took them to this uh, shelter that I promote a lot, you know, I sort of help a lot. Uh, It's called Sneha. It's in Dharavi. It's in the biggest slum in Southeast Asia. And I took them there and they donated to the, you know, instead of my paying them anything, they donated to that shelter. And it's been a great great, uh, working relationship with Eve also. She's always there to help us.
0: And it's so good to see how women come together to create the world that we are being denied. So it's, it's a powerful team of women, I would say.
1: Yeah, but men are learning also. You see, the idea is, I think so far, we've been keeping the men out. Yeah. The idea is to include the men, yes. to get them to come in and to explain our problems and to have them accept. And you'll be surprised after the show is over how many men come backstage and tell us about how sorry they are, about how they viewed their relationships with women. I mean, it's it's amazing. You know, I had a young man come and tell me, I feel so bad. I feel like you've slapped my face because of the way I treat my mother. And he's left that as a comment in my book. And that makes you feel very happy. And even in the slums, you know, even in the slums, uh, we do lots of shows for the women. And uh, in the last few shows, the men started coming in. And now I believe the men mentor other men, you know, where violence is concerned. And so that is the kind of uh, society that we need to uh, accept and uh, build up.
0: Yeah, that's true. Because working with women alone is not going to work. Because we are just...
1: Talking to the converted. You know, when you talk to women, every woman wants to be free. Every woman wants to be empowered. I don't think there's any woman in the world who must not feel that, oh, I don't want to be empowered. because. But it's true, you know, religion and mythology, in India at least, has played a great role, a negative role, in the empowerment of women. I'm sorry I say that, but uh, that's how it is, you know. Women are always told that, look at Sita, look at, but these were people who never probably existed. Why do I have to be like a Sita or a Lakshmi? I don't need that. I'm myself and I need to be empowered in my own right. Yes, I'm a human. Because feminism is that. Feminism is not saying I'm burning my brow or I'm burning this. It is just saying that I am a human being, just like men are. Yes. That is just it. Very often people ask me, how do you like being called a feminist? And I say, well, I've been called worse names than that. But so being a <laughs> wonderful you know i mean i'm just asking people to treat women as humans and why should they not and why should we ask we are humans there's no need you know we say we claim we want we don't want we don't claim we are
0: yes and that, that is, is true.
1: Feel, you know that we are equal
0: and that's that's really true Mahmanuji. like you said uh we have to kind of feel that thing that uh, it's not something that has to be given to us. It is within us. And we need to realize that power within us and Vajana Monologue and your performances, they do exactly that thing. And also uh, bring men to this forum and also let them know that women are to be treated with respect. They are not just something, a commodity to be utilized or someone who, who you can go and tell uh, to work like a slave for you so they are somebody who is equal to you somebody who creates a home out of a house somebody who gives you children and also at the same time can stand beside you when you need them emotionally so um uh, so no, women, in- women are- sorry go sorry ahead. no no go ahead please
1: always told, you must compromise you must adjust you must accept why? Why should we come? Why is everything? Why do we have to compromise? Why do we have to adjust? Yeah, I mean, I just don't understand this. And it's sad that some women tell their daughters that when you get married, you must adjust, you must come. So this has to be stopped. And the daughters have to learn to oppose these, uh, you know, outdated, totally outdated ideas. I have a friend who got a friend's daughter who got married just a year and a half ago she's ready for a divorce because it was an arranged marriage and I don't see the point of that I just don't see that
0: yeah that's true because girls are not given that kind of freedom they are given education but they're not given the freedom to choose their spouses to choose their career and also to live in cities all alone still um, there's still a lot more fights pending (laughs) I would say
1: things are changing gradually especially Mm -hmm. for the urban women or the women in the tier one tier two cities it's the very very but even in the villages now there is a change coming about it may be slow but it's there and you see most of the things are so politically motivated that the we take two steps forward and then we are one step backwards
0: Yeah, yeah that's true i agree i agree So uh, women in general, uh, they face a lot of discrimination due to their gender and in many cultures, uh, they're still not accepted as equal to their male counterparts. Do you think things have changed in the present times with access to education and many women venturing into the previously male dominated fields?
1: Uh, Firstly, I feel that women have not progressed as much as they could have because every girl child doesn't have access to education. You see, even in the villages where the girl is edu- uh, goes to school, the minute she gets, because there are sometimes no loo's in the schools, so the minute she gets her period, she has to go out of the building to go to the bathroom. So they stop. So all the money that you've spent uh, in educating her till, say, 8 or 12, whenever she gets goes to waste because then she doesn't come back to school. You know? Yeah. So, this has to, you know, the government has to do something to see that every girl just distributing sanitary napkins and all is not going to do your jo- the job because she has to go out, you know? Yeah. In fact, there was a case uh, two years ago where a family did not build a loo in that, uh, in that little hut or whatever house because they were saving for the girl's dowry. I can think of nothing sadder than that, you know. Mm. Nothing sadder than that. That you're saying for her dowry to be given to a man who will probably, you know, not keep her as happily as you think he's going to. So things are, you know, and and it starts with the girl child. You know that in India, first of all, if you, they have banned sexual, uh, you know, to determine determination. But the rich people go to Singapore or wherever it is allowed have an abortion. So the girl child, and then in the village, once the girl child is born, sometimes she's killed at birth. There are several things that happen that are horrific, you know. Horrific.
0: Female feticide and female infanticide is still prevalent, still happening.
1: You know, the highest rate of female feticide is in Bombay's Richest locality.
0: Oh, that's something new for me.
1: Money plays plays an important part. The money, according to these old, uh, you know, ways of thinking, must pass from the son to the son to, you know, grandson or whatever. So the girl at that very moment is either killed or if she... And I'll tell you an example, you know, we uh, do workshops with schools and in a very, very rich school, the girls told us, even the girls in rich schools, they said, you know, if there is a choice of say go a trip uh, abroad and if it's a little more expensive, my brother gets to go, but I don't. You see the and in the lower, I, I did a, I did a, a TV show, uh, panel, uh, where prostitutes were called, and a lot of them said, we are in this business because when we were young. We were not given the opportunity to educate ourselves. It was our brother who got educated, or it was the brother who got better food. And on that panel, I remember one woman who was very dismissive of these sex workers. And she said, oh, but you know, you sell your bodies for for money. And this one woman said, she said, yes, madam. She said, why not? She said, if you had a job that was paying you 10,000 rupees a month, and if you then got a job that was paying you 30,000 rupees a month, would you not change? She said, I'm very happy with the work I'm doing and it gives me a good income for my child, for myself. And she said, I don't see anything wrong in that. You know, we have these preconceived notions of people. We don't see the deeper, the more profound reasons behind what people do and why they do it.
0: That's true. That's true. Just because she's a woman and she's a sex worker does not mean that she is doing it happily. And I love the answer that she gave. Um, it's, yes. it's very bold and it's very true.
1: Shabana Azmi was also, and she and I both clapped when she said that, you know. <laughs> we were so. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, I have some statistics that I want to read out. May I? Yeah, sure, sure. About why uh, this play is so important to India and maybe to other parts of the world also. It shows that a woman is raped every minute. Six women are gang raped every day. A bride is murdered for dowry every 69 minutes. Nineteen bi- women are victims of acid attacks every month. Can you imagine these statistics? That's sad. Horrific thing. Horrific, absolutely. You know. And of course, these may be a little old. Now I've got some recent ones which says four women raped every hour, one rape every 15 minutes, 90 cases every day. 1.66 lakh cases are pending trial. Every fourth is a every fourth person raped is a minor. Can you imagine? And there's all, the conviction rate is only 27 percent. And this is only of the reported cases. There are equal number of unreported cases too. You know.
0: Yeah, because of the honor thing attached to a girl's virginity.
1: And as I said, even religion. Yeah, uh, I'll give you an example. Do we have enough time?
0: Yeah, we do. We
1: do uh, this uh, place where I said Sneha, which is a NGO in daravi was started by a wonderful woman called do- Dr. Armida Fernandez. And Dr. Fernandez told me that when she was dean of the neonatal care at Sion Hospital, a child was born to be brought to her, eleven-month-old baby girl with the vagina slit up to the umbilicus because the neighbor. Had tried to rape her. And because she was so tiny, he I mean, can you imagine? Because there is this false thing in religion, I believe, in certain uh, certain religions or certain sects, that if you have a sexually transmitted disease, you have to sleep with a virgin. Now, obviously he couldn't find a virgin to sleep with him, naturally. So he went and did this. And Armedia told me, doctor told me, that at that time I decided. That when I retire, I will start a little NGO to help rape victims. And I think she has now now this Neha has grown into a huge, huge center. And doctor has, of course, retired, but
0: yeah, that's that's a very pathetic incident that shows that we are still living in Stone Age times, I would say.
1: Absolutely.
0: This is horrible. uh,
1: You know, now they brought the death penalty for rapists. I was at one time very much for it. But as somebody explained to me, uh, once you put the death penalty into force, the rapist kills the survivor so that there is no identification, no evidence. And you'll see every girl that almost every. I wish somebody would do a a data study, you know, an analysis on how many victims were, were killed before this law came into being and how many are now being killed after it has been. And I think it is a huge majority that's being killed and being killed in the worst possible way, burnt, chopped off. I mean, it's horrible. Even today's paper had three or four such cases.
0: Yeah, that's true. And the recent Hathras case has been uh, quite a... Uh, no, so after, the,
1: after the Hathras one, Girgita Anjali, there's another case that has come up Two months or two months ago, a girl was raped in a very horrible way, gang raped, and she died just yesterday. Every day, things are coming out. Of course, maybe it's because social media is so you know uh, prevalent now that we get to know of these things. Yeah. But I'm sure things are getting worse actually, because there's no fear of law. The police, in every case, you will see they don't want to file an FIR. They just even in this girl who died yesterday. FIR was not filed immediately so they file an FIR after the evidence and all has been you know ira- re-erased or whatever
0: yeah because again there's no value of a woman's life there's no value of that's a woman's uh, that's dignity that's her honor and her desires her dreams because it's like erasing uh, people um during the nazi rule or erasing massacre creating what? massacres Killing people by dehumanizing them, showing them to be uh, lower than the persons that we are uh, giving the reign of this world to, I would say.
1: You know, Eve Ensler told me, she does a lot of work in the Congo. In fact, she's opened a shelter there. And do you know, I mean, we are so careless about buying our cell phones and buying our children game, uh, whatever they are, you know, these...
0: iPads, yeah
1: and everyone wants the latest iphone and the latest ipad do you know that the filament in that phone is found made from the ore found in the congo and i think nobody knows this i mean very few people may be aware not nobody knows it but that the tribes from rwanda come and actually kill all the men rape the women and make the little boys rape their own mothers at gunpoint So next time when you want to change your iPhone, keep that in mind, please. It's one of the causes that I support, you know. I don't change my phone. I don't care what happens, you know. It's an old phone and never mind if it doesn't work sometimes. And do you know when Eve went there, she said one little girl had had been raped so many times. She actually had holes where excreta and urine were coming pouring out from. Nobody had held that child ever because it was kind of... And Eve said when she went out to hug her, that child shied away, didn't want to. And that is how, you know, I mean, it is pathetic. We who live privileged lives, we don't know what other people's lives are like. You know, that's true. I'm saying this on your, this thing, I hope many women listen to this. And when they buy a new iPhone or a new iPad without any reason for it, please keep this in mind.
0: Thank you for sharing. That's a very important information because been,
1: you know it's the largest genocide since World War II.
0: The largest. That's really terrible. Think, the world we are living in. Yeah.
1: Six million people, you know. Wow.
0: Yeah, that's intense. That's very intense. And it's I'm really amazed how we can make hell for human beings who have a right, an equal right to live the life that we have not provided them. Yes, life yes. Is not, it's not something that we have given them. So it's, it's nobody's right to take it away.
1: And one of the other things that one has to remember is genital mutilation. You know, we in India think it only happens in African countries. It's happening in India. Very often, our, we, have, we read out statistics on that in, during the show. And very often we've had women coming and telling us, that they were genitally mutilated and that they did everything to stop their daughters from being genitally mutilated. Some of them had been excommunicated from the community. Some had been divorced by their husbands because they wouldn't let their daughters be genitally mutilated. I mean, it's horrific, you know, it's horrific. Mm -hmm. We don't know half of what is going going around in the world.
0: And I'm glad they're taking this stand. I'm really uh, proud of those mothers who are taking such stands because that's what we need. Mothers have also to teach their daughters, like you previously mentioned, we have to teach our daughters that they have to stand up for themselves. It's not going to help otherwise.
1: Absolutely.
0: yeah. So for centuries, a woman's body has been projected as a commodity to be had and the shame and honor are associated with the female body. How does vagina monologues break this stereotype? You know, the
1: vagina monologues is a very brutal very explicit it is something that you never can understand one can never understand until one comes and sees it it talks about everything that a woman goes through not just physically but mental torture emotional torture I'll just um, enumerate a few of the monologues that are there yes. one is the one is the monologue that's my short skirt you know where if a woman is raped everybody says ah she was wearing a short skirt Our politicians are saying that you know in India, that oh she was dressed vulgarly, so obviously she's going to get raped. Why, when men wear those vests and little uh, shorts, we don't go and rape them. Why? Why should a woman's dress be uh, a reason for raping her? So that piece is beautiful, my short skirt. Then there is another one which is very important, but which people do get. I myself got a little. You know, it's about pubic hair, wanted her to shave her pubic hair because he felt it was dirty and cluttered and how she felt when he did that. It is emotional torture. She said, I felt terrible when my hair was gone down there. And he made that as an excuse to go and have affairs outside. So she went to, med- to mal for marital therapy, both of them did. And the therapist told her exactly the same thing that marriage is a compromise. You know, and she said, but no matter what I did, he never stopped screwing around. Hmm. Then there is another one that's beautiful about a man who made a woman love her vagina. This woman, you know, many women don't like their vaginas because they've been told it's dirty. It's, you know, um, it's a place where you'll get hurt. Or And she said, I met this man who loved to look at it. And he taught her, How beautiful her vagina was and how much pleasure it could give her. And you see, this is where we go wrong. We don't teach our children that sex is a very pleasurable uh, experience, but it comes with a lot of responsibility. And at the right age, we don't teach them that. You know, Indians always refer to the vagina or to the penis as choo choo pee pee. You know, we have little silly names for it. And that's why. This gives the idea to the child that it's a dirty place. It should not be spoken about at least, you know. And so there was this one monologue. Then there's a very sad monologue about a woman, a little girl who was raped by the uncle. Mm -hmm. And how another woman, an older woman, took her then when she was 13 or 15 and taught her how to love herself. And many people say, oh, you're uh, promoting... uh, uh, child abuse. It's right? not child abuse. That there was nothing abusive about it. She just talked and she, that girl never saw her again. And these are all true stories. You know, Eve Wensler interviewed over 200 women from all over the world, including Bosnia and Kosovo, which were major issues with this particular play was written. Then there is another monologue of what happens when men in Bosnia and Kosovo, she actually went to Bosnia and Kosovo undercover you know, uh, risking her life and that is a terribly sad one, you know, how when soldiers march into a country, no matter who, who's, uh, which country the soldiers belong to and um, what happens there, you know, how the vagina was green and happy and then what comes and then how they used to stick the rifles up their vaginas and very many people after that, I mean, I can actually hear people crying during that, actually, yeah. And then there is one, which is a very funny one about a sex worker, but she only did sex work for women because she loved to hear women moan. You know, because women are taught, even when you have sex, you, you sort of shut your mouth. You can't express your joy, your pleasure. And that's, a, that's a, it brings after Bosnia and Kosovo, it sort of it brings the you other know, things. And the last one is the birth, the mother, and how what Eve Ensler felt when she saw her grandchild being born. It is the most beautiful piece, most beautiful. So, you know, she has covered everything beautifully. You laugh, you cry, there is poetry. There's all kinds of things. It's a perfect entertainment package with a message.
0: Yeah, that's true. That's true. And thank you for sharing those stories because whosoever is going to read these after listening to your podcast, I believe that uh, definitely they would have... uh, more insight into what they are going to. Actually,
1: I should come and uh, direct the play for you there with your group.
0: Definitely. We would love that. We would love that.
1: I I just did it in Atlanta. My daughter lives there. And, uh, you know, it took me, you're talking about conservative societies. South America, uh, Southern America is very conservative, very conservative. Midwest and Southern America. Uh, and uh, it took me literally 10 years to convince her uh, that why don't we do this play with your, with American women? So a very good uh, occasion came about. She was raising money for some uh, rape shelters and other shelters. So she said, shall we do the vagina monologue? So I went to America twice last year, directed them, rehearsed them, then again came back to India because I had work here. Again, went back. Uh, Fifteen days before the show, rehearse them. And do you know that ninety-year-old women, eighty-year-old women came to see the play? And wow. the, yeah. And before the play starts, you know, I tell them that don't be afraid of that word. Let's just whisper it very gently. So they all whisper it. Then I say, can you say it a little louder? So they say it, and then I make them shout out the word. And you'll be surprised how those old women from the conservative area were shouting out that word and enjoying. It. Yeah. So, You have to do it with dignity. It's very easy for this play to be done in a way where the dignity and the purity of the essence of the play is taken away. But you have to tackle it very carefully, very carefully.
0: That's true. That's very true. Because when we are talking about a woman's body, which has been presented um, on the social media more as a thing to be marketed, and uh, something that has to be in a particular way, something that has to be enjoyed, like I have been saying time and again, commodification of the woman's body. So uh, from that to bringing uh, the honor back to the woman's body that it deserves, it's, it's a very a long one. journey. That's
1: what. Yeah, you bring the honor back to the woman's body. Yes, yeah. absolutely. That's a lovely phrase.
0: And it's, it's really important because like you mentioned, we have never been told to respect our bodies the way that they deserve, because it's not just a woman's body to give birth or to carry on the heritage and all the patriarchal thoughts that are related to the honor um, of a woman, especially in the virginity and all the issues related to it. I feel personally, that a woman's body has a lot more to offer to her own self. So until and unless we respect ourselves, no one else is going yeah. to respect it. Yeah. So and if
1: we respect other women also. You know, very yes. often we sometimes sort of degrade our own uh, people, demean our own sex. Yeah. And I find that a little sad. You know, it's sad. Because yeah. when you're know someone, you're only demeaning yourself. Actually, I always feel that when somebody doesn't respect someone, it's because within themselves, they don't respect themselves. You know, with self-respect comes respect for others.
0: That's true. That's very true because over the period of time, we have been mauled. Our souls have been mauled. It's not just our bodies. It's also the souls, the very thought of where I belong, where do I stand, who am I? So yes. that has been a very problematic thing. And before because of that, I believe that there is this struggle. What I could not have, how can the other person have? So I that uh, thought of that mentality of scarcity that many people in the third world, because of the colonial rule that they have been through, because of this hunger for power. So I see it more as mm-hmm. kind of a struggle to get that power, to snatch that away from someone, because we believe that Maybe if I did not have it, she cannot have it.
1: She should not have
0: it. Yes. So, uh, and I'm glad that things are changing over the period of time. And we still have, like I keep on saying, a long way to go. But I'm glad that even if we are making a slow progress, at least we are moving somewhere.
1: Absolutely.
0: Yeah. So... um, The other thing that I had in mind was like, what is in your opinion, uh, does this play influence and educate the men? Uh, What advice would you have for the men when they watch this play? I think Uh, you have answered it a little bit, but um, again, I would like to uh, hear. I don't don't have
1: any advice for the men, except that please don't come to the show thinking you're going to see a porn show. You'll be very disappointed. (laughs) Disappointed. Because the show that might shock you in other ways but not shock you and you know throughout the years there has we keep these comment book books outside so in 18 years we've collected god knows how many comment books and you know there is not one single negative comment except one from a man in Hyderabad who wrote this is all bullshit and I, and I, I was quite happy that somebody wrote that because it Everybody would think, you know, everyone goes into ecstasy when they're writing, you know, about Mm -hmm. how one. And I'll share some of the experiences later on with you about some of the life-changing experiences that this play has brought about to people I know. And people I didn't know also at that time. Um, But to the men, you know, actually the men, as I told you, they come nowadays in larger numbers. That's the one difference. That's the, The difference this play has brought about is that men come in larger numbers, they watch very respectfully, very, you know. In fact, in the first during the first few shows, a very old 80-year-old man came and fell at my feet. And he said, I cannot believe that I'm living in India in this day and age where a play like this can be performed and performed with such dignity and grace. So these things make us happy, you know, when people come and see these things. Um, so for the men, I say, come, see and improve. What else can one
0: say? No, that's very true. That's very true because the more we listen, the more, because this is some uh, thing I feel that the communication is not happening with the women. And for men, it's even four steps away from the whole thing that is needed to be done. Because if we women are not told about our bodies in a proper way, like menstruation happens and uh, nobody teaches you about that, that that is going to happen and your body is going to uh, change right
1: menstruation also with yeah. all the silly you know uh stuff that goes around when you menstruate what happens yeah and you know there are so many rites and rituals and i mean it's it's awful, it's
0: awful. yeah no that's true because our organization is working uh, on that project as well so we talk about menstruation and we definitely talk about the taboos like you shouldn't be going to temple, you shouldn't be touching the pickle, you should not be doing this or that. Uh, there are still people who follow, and I won't judge them, but I would say that there are there is this fear of losing our culture and our traditions that people carry with them when they are immigrants. But at the same time, we need to see that these rituals were made in times when there were so many things that were not available. They were relevant maybe 100, 200, 500 years ago. But over the period of time, things have changed. And we need to change. We need to progress. We don't need to lose our culture. But we, at the same time, we need to keep on moving with the things that are changing around us. So keep the culture, keep the beautiful traditions that we have, but don't overkill them. So that's what is happening uh, right now, even in many parts of India so we are working on that as well and I'm glad that evensler has also mentioned that and uh, you it's see, there
1: uh, actually people fail to realize that unless you menstruate you cannot create yes you cannot create so what is that that is so bad about menstruation except that it is one of the most creative forces if you didn't menstruate you wouldn't create or yes, you put you know, and that is the first thing women should understand that, it it is, is. that yes, is wonderful and that the beauty of it should be celebrated and not demeaned and you know people should not be told you can't go here and you can't go there. you know It, it saddens me that people don't understand. actually the vagina monologues, you know it is not just about the vagina as a vagina, it's the spirit of the woman because yes. that is where the creative energy is. That is where she is abused. You know, that is where she becomes a woman from a child. And I I always feel feel that the vagina monologues is actually about the woman's spirit, which is so beautiful, so great, and should be allowed to flower, you know, everywhere and
0: in every place. That's very, very true. So true uh, of this whole thing, because again... uh, Beyond the bodies, because of marketing of women's body, people have stopped looking beyond the body and into the soul of the person. The dreams that they carry, the desires that they have, the creativity that they have, the things that they can create, the power that they have to change the world. And and we see very strong women around us, and we see the changes around us that have been brought by strong women and how they carry forward that legacy. And it's kind of really wonderful to see how they go beyond that marketing of the woman's body and commodification of the woman's body. And beyond that, they just change the whole thing and they show that powerful, strong, ironclad spirit of theirs. So I really am impressed by such women and I'm glad that Vagina Monologue is one big thing that is happening in India to do that. And also um, here, um, uh, it happened in Minneapolis, I think a few years ago, I was not here at that point of time, but I have heard that they did that play in Hindi. So it would be great if you can come here sometime and do it with us. We would definitely have people there.
1: We also have a Hindi translation.
0: Yeah.
1: And in the book, every few pages I would read, why don't you translate this into Hindi? And I got this wonderful two people to translate it, you know, Ritu Bhatia and Joydeep Sattar. And they did a superb translation, superb. And of course, I had to get it vetted by Eve. She must have got vetted by somebody who knows Hindi, you know, because I can't do anything sure. without permission.
0: Yes. And
1: unfortunately, it was the biggest financial disaster. Because very few people came to see it. I don't know what their mindset was. That, but the people who came to see it said that there was nothing lost in translation. It is so beautifully done. And I frankly enjoy doing it in Hindi also myself.
0: Yeah, yeah. that's great.
1: But it was a total disaster. So a few years ago i stopped it i only do it at the film theatre where i get a very good audience that understands hindi
0: okay yeah
1: yeah
0: yeah but that's great that you have tried it in hindi it's there are multiple reasons and we won't go into that right now but again i'm glad that you tried that um and hopefully uh, we'll have it here sometime with yeah, that'd be lovely. yes definitely Uh, so you have performed the vagina monologues in India and abroad as well. So what difference do you see in the reception by the audience? Is there some kind of different reaction of audience in the Western world and uh, the audience in uh, India?
1: Not at all. Not at all. I don't see any difference in them. Of course, I was very wary in uh, last year in America because I thought because it was a very conservative town and, you know, but, you know, it was accepted, I think. People are just blown away by the sincerity of the play and on that point I wanted to share two or three examples of what people have, how people have reacted to it in their daily life. Sure. You know years ago I was going to Delhi to perform the play and I was sitting in the plane at the Bombay airport and <clears throat> this girl from across the aisle got up and she said Mrs. Cotwell can I give you a hug? So I said yes you may but You know, I was a little uncomfortable, a random person standing up while everybody's seated and saying, can I give you a hug? So I said, yes, you may, but uh, can I know why? And she said, she took out her mobile phone and she showed me a picture of me standing with a man next to me. And she said, this was the happiest moment in my life. So I said, oh, how wonderful. Because one of the taglines of the vagina monologues is, if you want to find a good man, go to the vagina monologues. So I said, I'm so happy that you found a good man at the play. She said, no, Mrs. Kotwal. After seeing your play, I decided to walk out of a three and a half year abusive marriage. So I made him stand next to you to commemorate that moment. Wow. I was just blown away, you know, just blown away. Another woman, again, I was at Hyderabad Airport and this woman was, little girl was crying away, sobbing. So I was just sitting next to her and I said, can I help I mean, why? And she said, I've just signed my divorce papers and I'm sort of overcome by emotion. So I told her, darling, don't worry. I said, 10 years from today, come back and tell me what your life has been like. You know, 10 years after that, she came back to the play and she told me, Mrs. Kortwal, those were the most wonderful words anybody said to me. I have been so happy after those <laughs> years. Because really, why would you want to? Close yourself up in a relationship for the rest of your life. In fact, yesterday on Facebook, a very orthodox Parsi gentleman asked me, Are you in favor of live in relationships? So I said, Of course I am, because today you can easily walk out of a live in relationship, but you can't walk out of a marriage. There are so many ifs and buts, and you know. And so I I think, uh, and a lot of the girls who I've worked with, who my you know, uh, relate with. They are all in. They're very happy and live in relationships. Very happy, and a lot of them feel, and I feel that. But why do we need to validate ourselves through our fathers or our brothers or our husbands? We don't need that. In fact, there's a lawyer in the Bombay High Court. She only goes by her first name. So I said, what about the second and third name, last name? She says, no, Mrs. Courtwell. I don't want to validate myself to any man. I am who I am. So I said, what about your passport? And I don't know if this is true or not, but she said, even my passport has only this one name. Wow. So that is true if a passport is allowed to have only one name. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But that's kind of like the spirit, like you mentioned earlier, it's the spirit of these women. And I'm glad that the vagina monologues brought that change in that person's life, who walked out of that abusive marriage, which many of us don't have the courage to do. And the reason is, again, the societal pressure. And also, uh, we think about what is going to happen to our kids. And
1: My Many people stay into a marriage because they can't, they have no... That is why I say education is the most important thing. Education, education, and education. There is nothing more than that, you know. Once you are financially free, you walk out because then nothing matters to you really. That's true. And
0: That's I think true.
1: all parents should tell their children, that their daughters, this that they don't need to. And very often in India, you know, parents say, oh, if you come back, uh, what will people do? I mean, it's ridiculous to put your child through an abusive marriage, I think is more criminal than the man committing the abuse. I think that. Yeah. I mean, a lot of your viewers will not agree with it, but uh, it's sad.
0: No, it's a sad situation because um, who do we believe the most in our lives before we get married? It's the parents. So when you get hurt, who do you go to? to your parents and if they turn you out it's kind of really difficult to manage so I I agree with you here I don't know how many people who would listen to this podcast would agree but I definitely agree to this point that it's very uh, kind of bad situation where you have to turn out your daughter you have to turn away Turn, uh, turn her away just because you think that the society won't accept her because she's a divorcee. She has left the husband rather than celebrating her freedom, rather than celebrating her decision and respecting her uh, choice of to live a life with dignity. I would say it's it's really, really important because uh, until and unless we stop telling our daughters that it's not going to happen. So This is very cliche kind of a thing. It used to happen because things were different. Now, women are independent or at least they have this feel of being independent, but still uh, there are things which need to be changed. And like men also have to partake that responsibility that if a woman in a house is working, they have to help them out with the children and household work. And there is nothing demeaning in it. It's not a woman's job alone. cleaning utensils at the home or washing your dishes, it makes you unmanly. I don't think what is going to make a man out of um, you. men don't
1: feel that. It's yeah. only the ones
0: who have, who have low
1: self-esteem, yeah. they feel that, you know.
0: So uh, this, this balance is really important. This gender democracy is really, really important right now where we have to bring uh, both the uh, works related to the household kids and the office And finances to both the partners, not just to the women and not just to the men. So until and unless we start doing that, it's not going to happen. It's not going to create an environment where our daughters would be better and safer and happier in the future. And also our sons. It's not just about the daughters. If daughters are not happy, sons are also not going to be happy. Happiness in a relationship is for both the persons. It's not just for the wife. It's not just for the husband or um, even if they are in a living relationship. So both the partners need to be happy if you have to create a good house or a good uh, relationship and a good future for yourself. So definitely it has to have a balance.
1: It's actually in a living relationship, I think the sharing of the work in the house is more prevalent yes. than in a marriage. Yes. Because in a marriage, it is supposed it is their right. You know, whereas in a living relationship, when you go in, I think you sort of... Uh, Chart out certain duties that each one does
0: yes that's that's very doesn't true happen
1: in a doesn't
0: happen in a yeah no that's true so you have shared a lot about uh your memories and things associated with vagina monologue is there any problem that you have ever faced while presenting the play uh, would you like to share a story related to that that uh, there was a problematic issue that uh, you still have a memory off with you. Um, I, I remember you have uh, shared about the play being rejected, uh, censored at Chennai. Uh, apart from that, any memory?
1: Oh no. The Sometimes the stories that women come backstage and tell us affect us a lot. You know, that affects us. Okay. But yeah. apart from that, we've not had anybody really putting a... Uh, once I remember when Jane Fonda and all had come, we had done a reading of another play at the... Uh, President Hotel. And it's very funny that the two worst comments came, one worst comment came from two theater directors who came up to me and told me, Mrs. Kotwal, your play was titillating. I said, Vagina monologues, if it titillates you, you need your mindset checked. You know, there's nothing titillating about it. Nobody has ever said that. I don't know what made these two men who were in theater, who should have had, you know, uh, 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 different mindsets for them to come and say, you know, that it was a, that's about it. I mean, I've never had anything negative in fact, I feel so blessed that this play has actually done so much for me personally, and in turn, helping others, you know, I started my foundation, uh, the Make a Difference Foundation from there. And it has helped other people. I'll give you another example of a very, well, sad, but sort of uh, wonderful experience that we had. One day during our play, uh, one of the members of the audience started to cry and collapse. And so we stopped the play and we took her to the green room, calmed her, and gave her, you know, and then we continued with the play. She sat in the green room. And the play, uh, she told us, that the monologue that was going on when she collapsed, was the monologue where the little child is being abused by the uncle. Because you know, 90% of the rapes are done by people who know the family, you know, uncles, mamu, chachu, whoever. And she said, I just when I saw that being enacted because my sister who was 10 years old, was raped by my uncle. And she said, I walked into the room and I couldn't understand how my parents could have kept quiet about it. They just didn't say anything. She said and all this was building up in me. And today somehow watching this piece on stage, it brought a closure to my life, to that part of my. It sort of, I felt like, oh, so it happens to several people. And, and you know, six months after this, the sister who was raped came to a show in Delhi. And she said, do you remember the girl who had painted in your play? I'm her sister who was raped." So the difference is people are coming out with their stories. That is definitely a big change. People are feeling emboldened to come out and share their stories with us. I think that is one of the greatest things the play has done.
0: Yeah, that's a very big systemic change that we need to kind of... uh, because we make, keep on making effort from the outside and it's not going to happen until it is from within. And I believe that Evensler has touched the soul of women through her play.
1: Okay. And you know, from this, I started two years ago, I started a little group called the empathy group where women come, if they want to, they share their stories. If they don't want to, they don't, they sit and listen. But after two or three meetings, they share. And the stories you will hear You know, you could write books on them. I mean, they're horrific stories of how fathers themselves treat their little daughters badly, of how the family uh, fortune is given away to the son-in-law, but not to the daughter. And to a son-in-law who abuses the daughter. So So I started this little group and it has given me a lot of satisfaction. You know, we had one meeting in August on Zoom. And you probably have one. Every month we used to meet but because of the COVID we have not been able to meet because I got this idea from a person in, that I saw on the television from Munich. He took a chair and sat in the town square and he would say Gitanjali you have a story come and sit and tell me what yours because everyone wants to talk nobody wants to listen to your story.
0: Yeah.
1: So you need to be listened to your story needs to be told and he said I found so many people so I got an idea. I said, why don't I start something like this? So I did and a few women come, not very many, but the last one we had lots we had from London two people. and it sort of gives each one its empathy, not sympathy.'t yeah. we, don't, we don't prescribe any medicines for those who are depressed, but we may tell them, why don't you go and have a consultation with somebody. So in our own way we do help, you know And it's a great little group.
0: That's amazing. That's really amazing. Because like you said, we all have stories to share and uh, people love sharing their stories. They just need a good listener. Right. Absolutely. And and that's an amazing work that you are doing, Mahamanuji. And that brings us to the last question of our podcast here. Uh, What message would you you like to give to the women and men who are listening to this podcast or whosoever is listening to this podcast? I
1: don't know if I'm uh, in a position to advise anybody. But there are two, three things that I would like. I want to tell parents, because I think parents need more counselling than the children. I've done workshops with children, and I always tell the teachers and principals that you need to have workshops with the parents. You know, and teach your children how to question. Let them question you. Let them question the teacher, the parent. Let them question your religion. And if it doesn't make sense, let them drop it. You don't have to because, you know, most of us, we repeat what our mothers told us. And our mothers have said what their grandmothers told them. And our grandmothers said, so many of us, we don't have an original idea of our own or an original opinion of our own. We are just repeating things that we were told. And that's not going to work in this day and age. The second thing I want to say is please educate the women. Please, please, please. And also not just in learning the ABC and two plus two is four, but educate them to open up their minds to the world. Let them read, let them know things, you know, and not just social media, but let them read poets, let them read good writers, because that is where your mind opens up, you know. So these are the two things that I would say. I'm Definitely. Mostly...
0: No, that's that's an amazing advice. And uh, related to that, I would like to share that we do have uh, Desi Online Reading Group at SEVA. And uh, my colleague Movina has started that. And it's an amazing group where we bring in authors and anyone can join, any woman can join and uh, they can share their uh, readings if they want to read out something or whatever they're reading in their own language even. So, and they just have to give a summary of whatever they um, like sharing and from their own culture or from their own languages here. So it's kind of really interesting to see when women come and they share about their Uh, experiences and how they bring the poetry and also the uh, literary parts that they are very comfortable with. So, And it's really interesting uh, how uh, you have also talked about the same thing, how Vagina Monologue, when we are talking about those bold things, uh, and uh, it's more about, like I earlier said, it's more about touching the spirit, the soul of a woman. It's not about the body of a woman. It's about uh, what they can do and what their soul desires and what's her mind? Yeah, what what's in her mind? What she can do. So it's kind of like really amazing. Uh, it's just like um, over the period of time, if you keep on seeing the beauty, the creativity around you, you see that universe has so much beauty around it uh, in each and everything, and, and the indiv- individuals around us. Uh, when we stop putting that gender lens on our eyes and start seeing them as individuals as human beings uh, we can get through uh, to the creativity that they have the beautiful minds like you said they have and the beautiful spirit and the soul that they have so I'm so glad Mahamanuji for this time that you gave us and thank you so much for coming to the Seva podcast
1: Thank
0: thank you so much Mahamanuji